It's not about religion. It's about relationship. We love that phrase, don't we? In the modern church, we say that all the time. In fact, this past a weekend, I was a part of a, a celebration or a funeral service for someone, and, and I said that exact thing. And after the ceremony, somebody came up to me and was just like, yeah, I love that. That's what it's all about. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. Why do we like that? Because nobody really likes the idea of religion. I would guess that a lot of us have a bad taste in our mouth when it comes to this whole idea of religion. So it feels really good when we get to say, oh, it's not about that. It's not about the religion. But the problem is, there's a lot more to this phrase than you initially think there is. And because of that, we're all actually tempted to slip back into the very thing we hate. Why? Because although this phrase, it sounds really good, this phrase demands more than often we want to give. And this is exactly what Paul is going to speak to you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Philippians 3, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, as you're turning there, just a reminder that we are challenging you to memorize Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And so uh, last week, I challenged you to memorize all the way through verse 8. This week, I want to add verse 9. Philippians 2, 5, all the way through verse 9. Really, let's take some time to memorize that. Let's make that a part of our heart and a part of our mind, all right? But I want to read this passage to you. It's a little bit of a longer passage, so you got to stick with me. I'll do the best that I can to keep you engaged as we read through this. Beginning in verse number one says this. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put some confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But he goes on in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. And, and Father, although it was written so many years ago, I believe that you want to speak straight to our hearts today. And so open our ears, open our hearts to you, Lord. Speak clearly to us, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever done something stupid? You know what I'm talking about. You do something totally stupid, and you're like, oh, why did I do that? 
Well, I've done a lot of dumb things in my life. And, and when I've done something dumb or I've, I've discovered something, I have a tendency to walk around and tell other people, hey, don't do that. Hey, hey I've, I've been there, done that. You don't want to go that way. I, I say the same thing to my kids all the time. I say, kids, kids, learn from your mother and me, right? We've made some mistakes. It's good when you learn from your own mistakes. It's even better when you can learn from somebody else's mistakes. Now, that's just a tip for you. I'm not even going to charge you for that one this morning. But, but here's the deal. Paul, that's what he's doing here. He's going to tell us something that, that he's done. And he's saying, listen, I've been down that road. I've done that. Don't. Don't waste it. It's a waste. It's taking you the wrong direction. And so we're going to dig into this passage. There's three things that I see Paul speaking to us out of this passage. And then we'll get to our big so what. Point number one, I encourage you to take notes this morning. Point one is this. Beware of suffocating your faith. Beware of suffocating your faith. What do I mean? Look at verse number two. It says this. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, I'll explain what that means in just a moment. But what you have to first understand is that this word for watch out literally means to beware. And although in our text it only says it one time, in the original Greek, it's actually three times. It's as if he's saying, beware of the dogs, beware of the evildoers, beware of the mutilators of the flesh. Caution. You know when you drive down the road and you see big caution signs, you go somewhere and they put caution tape up. Paul is saying, listen, caution, be aware, don't, don't give in to this, right? Because he's trying to say, beware of suffocating your faith. People are going to try to suffocate. What does that look like? What does that mean? Verse number three says this, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Why is he talking like this? It doesn't make any sense. Okay, what you have to understand is that the first believers were all Jews. They were. Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jew. He was walking around preaching to Jews. And so there was no such thing as a non-Jewish Christian. Everybody was a Jew, right? The problem is Paul begins to leave the Jewish areas, and he's going all around the world to these Gentile areas. That means non-Jew, okay? That's what a Gentile is. He's going out, and he's leading them to Christ. And the problem is the Jews are getting frustrated. They're like, well, well you got to be a Jew. you got to do the Jewish thing. you got to follow the law. You have to be circumcised. That's part of it. If you're a male, you get circumcised, all right? And so they're saying, this is what you got to do. And the problem is all these guys are coming to faith. And, and so Paul comes to Jerusalem, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 15. There's this whole discussion in the, in the leadership, and they say, you know what? We don't want to make it harder for Gentiles to come to faith. And so they don't have to become a Jew to follow Christ. They can just simply follow after Christ. And, and Paul's, this is great, this is great. But the problem is there's these other Jewish Christians that keep coming behind Paul. And they'll, and they'll talk to these people that Paul's led to faith. And they'll say, hey, that's so good that Paul talked to you about Jesus. But you don't have the whole picture. you got to be a Jew. You have to follow the law. And you have to be circumcised, right? That doesn't sound like fun, right? <laughs> but this is exactly why Paul uses a phrase. It'll suddenly make sense. Those mutilators of the flesh. This is what we're saying. Beware of these people, Right? Why? Because they're trying to add something to Jesus. They're making this more than about what Christ has done for you. They're saying your salvation is based on what you do in your flesh. Your ability to keep some level of law, that's where your salvation is at. And when we do that, suddenly it suffocates this life-giving faith that is available to us. This is the beauty and the life-giving nature of the gospel is that the salvation doesn't come from you. Instead of boasting in yourself, we get to boast in Christ. So this is what Paul says. He says, beware of suffocating your faith. It'll suck the life 
right out of you, right? He goes on. Uh, Point number two. Write this down. Point number two is this. Realize you are not your savior. What's Paul saying? Realize you are not your savior. You ever met somebody who has a messiah complex? You know, they're the people who just, they got to solve all the world's problems. They got to solve your problems. They got to solve your mama's problems. They got to solve all the problems because they feel good about themselves, right? See, the problem is religion makes us want to have our own messiah complex. You see, what does religion say? It says, you are the answer. I am the answer. I've talked about this before, but religion is really, it's man's attempt to to get to God. It's man's attempt to appease God. And what religion says to you is, if you'll follow the rules, then you'll get all the accolades and you'll feel good about yourself and God will be happy with you. That's what religion tells you. Just gotta follow all the rules. You gotta do the right things. Now, we may never say this. We don't say this out loud. People would never acknowledge this, but this is reality. Like, oh, cool, just tell me the system. How do I work the system, right? But here's what we have to understand as followers of Christ, that Jesus didn't come to set up a system. He didn't come to set up a religious system. That was not why he left the beauties of eternal heaven to come to earth to die. It's not to set up a system. Jesus came to restore relationship between the Father and mankind and that he would redeem all of creation. That's why he came, right? And we have to understand that no amount of our effort is ever going to fix that. None of our efforts will be able to make that happen. That's why you have to realize you are not your savior. It's not about what you can do. That will never save you. So get to verse three. Remember, Paul's talking about this. He's saying, you know, it's we who are of the circumcision, right? It's not because we've been circumcised. It's because we are the true followers because we are focused and connected to Christ. He says that we, we don't put confidence in our flesh and what we can do. But then he gets here to verse four, and I love this. Okay, Paul says this, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. It's as if Paul is saying, if it was about what we've done, <laughs> I would totally win, right? <laughs> I can see Paul being the competitive guy playing games. Like, like I'm pretty awesome at games. You don't want to play me, right? Because you get to the next, verse, next part of the verse, he says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, <laughs> try me. No, that's not what he says. He says, if anybody can put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I got more reasons to put confidence in my flesh. My resume is better than your resume is. And so look at what he says. He says, what, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. That was a first step as a Jewish boy, right? of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, in regards to the law of Pharisee. What does that mean? It means in regards to the ability to to do the law, to do the religious things, to follow all the rules perfectly, I was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were the group who were the most rigid about following the rules, about following every, they, they dotted every I, they crossed every T, they did all the stuff perfectly. And he said, listen, everybody, when it comes to law, they want to be like me. That's how good I am at following the law. As for zeal, meaning passion for this Jewish understanding of God, I persecuted the church. I was actually trying to kill the Christians. That's how zealous I was. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And that's crazy. Like I, I, I say I try to be a good person and all those kind of things, but Paul was bold enough to say, listen, when it comes to doing the right stuff in my flesh, right, I was faultless. 
Like nobody could point out any area of my life where I was making a mistake, where I wasn't doing the religious thing perfectly. It's crazy. We get to verse number seven. And Paul set this up. He said, listen, if anybody could save themselves, it was me, right? If anybody could do this stuff, if anybody could find salvation through the law, it's me. And then verse seven, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Everything that I did, I just read it. All of those amazing things that I did, the things I worked out in my flesh, my abilities, all those things that were, were positives for me, I suddenly put them in the negative column. All of the pros are now the cons, right? Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, to being in relationship to him. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. None of those things matter. And we're going to come back to this whole idea of knowing Christ. He digs into this for the rest of this section. Right? It's not about that. It's not about the stuff that I could do. It's about knowing Christ. I consider all of this stuff worthless. I set it aside. I realize that I am not my Savior. But then this is the best one. I consider them garbage. I consider them garbage. Now, this word garbage, it's kind of a funny word. The word in, in the original Greek is skubalon, skubalon. You might want to say that out loud, right? Skubalon, it's kind of a funny word. But skubalon, it's a word for garbage that we have in here text, but, but, but that doesn't really give a full understanding of this word. You know, some of the more uh, traditional translations have used the word rubbish, which I, I don't think we use the word rubbish a whole lot. It sounds a little rubbish, a little English or something like that. I don't know, but, but it's not a word that, that we use all the time, but, but that's not even a really accurate understanding. In fact, when you study the original word, the, the word is more along the, the idea of refuse, right? It's things that are worthless, things that are detestable. It actually goes even further than that, and it ref, refers specifically to the excrement of animals. And very often, this word scubalon, it actually would be a word uh, somewhere between our word for dung and the four-letter word referencing the same thing. It was, a, it was a crass word. It wasn't the kind of word that you would use around your mama, okay? That's not the kind of word it... And I, I just think it's important to understand what that word really is because it helps us understand what Paul is trying to say. He's saying, listen, everything that you do, all the righteousness that you try to have on your own, all of your abilities to try and do the stuff and to, to follow the rules and to do all that kind of stuff, listen, you have to understand, at the end of the day, it's scubalon. Garbage, it's dung, it's refuse, it's waste, it's nothing compared to him, right? Listen, relative to Christ's work, it's garbage. Religion says, I can do something. There is something good in me that I can do, and if I do it right, then God will have to be okay with me. Listen, that's not what scripture teaches. Relationship says this, there is nothing that I can do to save myself. Remember, how did Jesus start the Sermon on the Mount? He started with his blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are the poor in spirit? They're the ones that recognize that they can't save themselves. They're the ones that recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt. They are poor, right? You are not your savior. You can never be your savior. And salvation isn't available to you until you're willing to accept that. But this, I believe, is where the good news 
of the gospel has something to say, right? We get to point number three, and you know it's, you might want to write this down here. Point three is this. Remember where your righteousness comes from. Remember where your righteousness comes from. Uh, look what it says in verse number nine. He says, says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ in verse nine and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from what I can do, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, my saving righteousness does not come from me. My saving righteousness comes from God. What we have to understand is when you talk about this idea of righteousness, righteousness is more than just doing the right thing. See, righteousness is having right standing before God. If you can never be perfect enough, and that's what we just learned, we, can, we can't be our savior. If you can never be perfect enough to, to get right standing before God, then your only hope is receiving that right standing some other way. And this is where the gospel speaks to us. Because what does the gospel say? It says that while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, while we were still apart from God, Christ died for us. He came to pursue us because recognizing that there is nothing that we could do to save ourselves. It says God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, not to say, oh, you're lost, good luck. He came to the world to save us, to rescue us. That's the whole idea of scripture. It's this rescuing nature of God as he cares for us. And this righteousness that we need, this right standing that we need before God can't be purchased by our own goodness. Paul even tries to say this. I'm as good as they come and I can't do it. And so the call for us is how do we receive this righteousness from God as a gift, this right standing before God. It's a gift that only comes through Christ. Have you ever been out to eat and then you forgot uh, to bring your wallet? Ever done that before? You know, you go, you have your meal, you eat your whole meal, you're having fun, you're chit-chatting with people, and suddenly you realize, I don't have my wallet, shoot, right? And, and in that moment, you're just stuck like, I don't know what to do. The waitress is like, uh, like, I can't give you the food back. <laughs> I can't do that right now, sorry. You know, you ever had that moment where somebody's like, hey, I got you, I got you, you know? Your friends, I got you, I got you covered this time, don't worry about it. See, this is the idea of what God being our Savior, God being our righteousness means. If we were to compare it in relative terms, it would be as if you or I were in a position where we owed $10 trillion. $10 trillion. Even Jeff Bezos couldn't pay that off, right? And we're in a position where like, I got, I got a penny? <laughs> That's what I got? It's nothing. There's, there's literally nothing I can do to ever pay that back. But see, when we receive God's righteousness, that thing that we could never attain, no matter how hard we tried, See, God says, listen, I got you. You put your faith in me. You submit your life to me. I got you. I got it covered. Paid. Dealt with. You're good. You see, that's, that's what it means to receive God's righteousness. It's, it's, it puts us in a really vulnerable position. It puts us in a position where we don't bring anything to the table because there's this temptation for us still. We want to we prove what we can do. We want to prove our worth to God. But the fact is there is nothing you can do to save yourself. It is never going to be dependent on your abilities. That's not what salvation. It comes in your ability to surrender and to submit. 
and to receive the gift of grace that is offered to you. See, there's no religious system, there's no religion that will get the job done. Following Christ is simply about resting in what he has accomplished for you. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. All right, so we get to our big so what, and and this is the part, this is the turning point, this is the point where you got to understand this. It's this, religion is more tempting than you think. Religion is more tempting than you think. We love to think, oh, it's not about religion. The problem is it's more tempting than you think. Why do I say that? Because religion has this magnetic pull to it. You're going to understand what I mean in a moment because we romanticize this idea of I want a relationship with God. That's what it's about. It's about a relationship with God. But it is so much more difficult to have a relationship than it is to just have religion. See, religion is simple. It's clean. It's easy. It's give me the rules, tell me what to do, and I'll do that, right? It's really easy, right? Relationship is hard. It's hard work. We talked about this last Sunday. Relationships are just hard. They're work. They require more, right? It doesn't just happen. You actually have to spend time with someone. You have to get to know what they value, what's important to them, the things that they like, the things that they don't like. And then you have to begin to modify your life to come under that, to say, okay, I want to I do the things that you like. I, I want to avoid the things that you don't like. I, I want to share in the things that you care about, right? I want to value the things that you value. It, it changes me. I have to transform to make this relationship work. That's what relationships are right religion it's totally different religion is like a transaction you know it's like it's like if I do the things I get the stuff right I just got to do the things then I get the stuff I do the right things I get the good stuff that's how religions work and, and we like that and it's appealing and it has a draw to us and very easily we can turn the principles of scripture into that into just like oh if I do the things I get the stuff I do the things I get the stuff but see religion is not like that a relationship is not like that relationship is meant to be so much more intimate and personal. We know much more fulfilling than religion would ever be. So we finish this passage, and, and I love that this is one of those verses that I memorized years ago. But I don't know that I've even fully grasped the depth of this. Verse 10, he says this, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. All throughout this, he's like, it's all about knowing. It's about connecting to Christ. That's what it's about. I want to know Christ. This word know is more than just I want to have a mental understanding of who he is. This word know has to do with intimacy, has to do with knowledge that is uh, in our hearts, just this closeness, this nearness. In fact, this word know oftentimes in Jewish culture would be used for a man and a woman who are married and they're knowing one another physically, right? There's an intimacy about this. And Paul is saying, listen, listen, all that stuff that I try to do to try and prove myself, I don't care about that. No, I want to know Christ. I want to be intimate with Christ. I want to have a depth of connection to Christ. He goes on, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I want to I understand. I want revelation of who he is, right? And participation in his sufferings. That's a hard, that's hard. Like, what? You want to participate? Yeah. That's what I want. I want, I want this intimacy with him where I, where I experience the things he's gone through, right? He goes on and says, and, and to becoming like him in his death. Becoming like him in his death. What? Like you want to know him that much? Yeah, I want, to, I want to know him so much. I want to know what he's like so much that it actually transforms me, that I begin to look like him, that I begin to live like him. That's what it means to know Christ. 
to be so connected to him, this intimate knowledge of him, this intimate relationship, this transformative knowledge of who he is, right? And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So I don't want the religion thing. I don't want the rules and all that stuff. I want this relationship, this connection to the Christ, which, which breathes Zoe life into me, that gives me restored relationship with the Father, but also transforms me. It causes me to become someone that I am not today. See, that's what relationship is about. It's so much greater than just doing the things and getting the stuff, right? It's not just doing the things, getting the stuff. It is so much more. But, but this religion pulls at us because relationships take work. They take effort. They take waking up in the morning. Listen, my relationship with my wife, it doesn't just happen. If I just treated my wife like she was a religion, I just got to do the right things and then she'll be happy with me. Listen, that ain't going to last real long, okay? Relationships take effort. They take work. This is why I say religion is more tempting than you think. Because when you don't want to give the effort, you don't want to lean into God, you don't want to pursue him, it's way easier to just say, where's the box that I can check? How can I just do the stuff, do the things, get the stuff, right? But that's not what God's desire for us is. He didn't come for a religious system. He came for something more than that. He's saying, I want, I want deep love. I, I want your actions not just to be because you're following a rule. I want it because you have pursued to know me. And in that pursuit, it, it's forced you to, to change some things about your life. I, I want you to live out of the fullness of our relationship, right? I, I want this thing to be something that grabs your very soul and your heart. That's what I want. I and mean, listen, for me, there's plenty of times in my life where, where I, can, I can stroll back and just kind of lean into the religious side of things. But I don't want that for me. And I definitely don't want that for you. So I just want to close with this question. Does he have your heart? Does he have your heart? Are you pursuing relationship? I'm not saying it's perfect all the time, but are you pursuing relationship with Christ or are you allowing it to slip back into just a religious dogma, just trying to do the things to get the stuff? My prayer is that we, we would operate as those who pursue him because who was Jesus most frustrated with? It was these Pharisees, these Pharisees who could do all the right things. They did all the things and all the stuff. And he said, listen, but your, your hearts are far from me. You're like whitewashed tombs. There's death inside of you, but you look good, but there's death in you. And I would say, God, God, may I not be that kind of person? Father, may I live out of the abundance not trying to earn your, your, your righteousness, earning those things by my own fleshly ways, but receiving the, the righteousness that comes from God and pursuing relationship with you that, that in turn transforms my life. I'm living from the, the, the grace of God, not living for the grace of God. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. Does he have your heart? Does he have your heart? I'm going to pray over us for a moment, but I want to give you a really quick challenge, and here's the quick challenge. This week, do something different to pursue Christ. Do something different to pursue Christ, to say, God, I, I want to pursue relationship with you in a fresh way this week. I want, I want to know you more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you haven't invited us into a dead religion. You haven't invited us into some system You've invited us into a relationship with you. 
And we thank you for that. And that you made the way so that that's even possible. God, I pray that you would shake us, Lord. Not, not shaking us with more do's and don'ts, but shaking us with your heart, your very passion for us. God, may everything that we do be a response to your love for us, your grace toward us, Lord. And we thank you for that, Father. I pray for my own heart. I pray for everybody that's watching right now. God, I pray those areas in our life where we have allowed ourselves to slip back into a religious mindset, just doing the things, doing the things, checking the boxes. God, I pray that you would shake us out of that and remind us that you love us deeply, Lord. And God, you are calling us to something so much better, so much more meaningful than dead religion. God, I pray you would help us to live out of the fullness of the righteousness that you've made available to us. And God, that we would pursue you, pursue knowing you more and more. God, I also pray for anybody who, who may of you have never surrendered their life to you. They've never received this gift of your righteousness, this new gift of salvation. And God, I pray that they would offer themselves to you right now, recognizing that you are Lord, you are King, and giving themselves completely to you receiving the hope of salvation. God, I pray that you would work in their hearts right now. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, if you do wanna pursue Christ, if you wanna explore what does a relationship with Jesus really look like, I would challenge you to reach out to me. You can do that by emailing faith at zchurch.org, faith at zchurch.org, and I would love the opportunity to connect with you that way.